So, well, I thought that uh, last week's conversation uh, was, was cut short, uh, talking about um, our place in the city of Birmingham, and I think especially in light of what happened in Charleston last week with the shooting at Emanuel AMA, um, I think we should talk about that a little bit uh, because of the place and role of that church in the city of Charleston, which is located very much like we are located. Um, so uh, next week, uh, Colton Houston will be with us. He is a former Adventer who is now on the uh, staff for the Alabama basketball team. And uh, so he will be visiting with us. Uh, who would have thought you're on a, you're on a coaching staff and you have an MDiv? Uh, so, but that's what he does. So he'll be with us to talk about uh, Christians and sport and things like that next week. But for the time being, Welcome back, Matt. Thanks, Andrew. Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Oh. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. And Lord, we lift up this church to you, its place in the city of Birmingham. Uh, Lord, that you would use it um, to shine forth your gospel in this broken and fallen world. And we do pray for our brothers and sisters in Charleston who are hurting. We pray for Emmanuel AME Church. We pray uh, for that church family that uh, where there is brokenness, that you would uh, bind up uh, their broken hearts. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, uh, part of this, too, is we, because there was so much active discussion last time, we do want to leave a lot of time uh, for y'all to ask questions and to sort of uh, ask about it. But, Matt, why don't, you, why don't you just kind of recap for us what we talked about last week? It's so interesting that uh, I mentioned this last time. Most of you probably were here. Some of you might not have been uh, to be interviewed like as an expert on the city of Birmingham. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not interviewing as an expert uh, on the city of Birmingham. Mr. here. Um, you know, uh, but to have something to say, um, and uh, I've only been here uh, 10 months now. Uh, I guess the thing that I, I do bring, uh, in addition to an MDiv, is, uh, is an outsider's perspective and so something of a partial insider at this point. So we talked a lot about my ministry here specifically, um, things that are catching my attention about the city of Birmingham. And I'll say, you know, Birmingham, we brought this up last time, it's not just, it's, it's not just the city limits of Birmingham, it's kind of an idea um, about the metropolitan area. So much so that you can write Birmingham on your address if you live in Mountain Brook or, or Homewood and they'll send the mail to you. Um, uh, that says something, you know, it's sort of symbolic of uh, the, the, the whole area is Birmingham. So I think that's what we're talking about. We do have a particular interest with respect to ministry of the Advent with the, the uh, downtown area because we're right here. You know, we're, we are um, uh, enfleshed into the city uh, of Birmingham itself, uh, yet uh, that's going to have an outward ripple effect. And so many of you live uh, over the mountain, so there you go. Um, but uh, so we talked about a lot of things. Um, <laughs> Don't really know how to, to recap it, um, but uh, we just got into a little bit of Q&A, but I'm sure that some of you might have some questions. And of course, there is the thing that happened in Charleston last week, tragedy. And someone asked the only one of two questions, I think, was, uh, what about race? Do you remember that last week? Mm -hmm. Golly, how prophetic. Um, 
because I didn't, I didn't have an answer. And the one thing I said was, I've never even been, it's an oversight of mine, I haven't been to the Civil Rights uh, Museum yet here in Birmingham. Uh, and, I, and I will go uh, now very, very soon. Um, and that, uh, the race relations, of course, plays a big role in this city. Um, so it hits home uh, for us. I mean, uh, just down the street, something terrible happened at another church some 50 years ago. Um, so, well, uh, I don't know what else to say in terms of a recap. Can you readdress um, your uh, future home and how that <laughs> dynamic of their purpose of calling you, I guess? Yeah, somebody brought, uh, uh, well, David just asked about uh, my future home. Holly and I presently live in Homewood. Uh, we landed there and we came here to Birmingham. I really liked the downtown uh, Homewood area uh, and still do. And I felt like it would be a very comfortable place for us to land in Birmingham because there's a lot to do just right there. Uh, we still weren't, didn't understand the school districts yet. And we knew, like, uh, for anything, the Homewood School District is great. Um, but as we were here uh, for a few months, we started to realize what we really wanted to do is move into the city of Birmingham itself um, for all the reasons that I just brought up uh, to, uh, to, uh, to sort of be where the, a lot of the people are that I'm trying to reach actually live, to be a part of the fabric of the, the city limits itself. Um, and so uh, an answer to prayer came, uh, actually, when I was really thinking a lot about moving into the, the loft district. And my wife said, this is so impractical. We have two small children. Um, but I've lived in the you know, downtown San Francisco. Holly and I, when we first got married, had a 400-square-foot uh, studio apartment with a nice terrace in Washington, DC. Um, and so we're, we're real city people, but we've had children since then. <laughs> so living in a loft is really uh, impractical. Uh, and yet, like, my heart just kept saying, like, that's where I want to live. And she was saying, no, Crestwood. Um, <laughs> and I said, but I have to mow the lawn. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and then a developer, uh, literally, we were having this conversation uh, one day. And like 15 minutes later, I checked my email. And a developer here in Birmingham contacted us about uh, moving into a new development uh, downtown uh, on First Avenue South called uh, uh, Live Parkside. Uh, it's so interesting because someone caught word of it at ABC 3340 and wanted to interview me about it. Uh, Matt's moving. That's big news. <laughs> <laughs> I understand the story. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a, they've, 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 they've uh, recruited a minister to move in the development. A part of me, you know, is always kind of like, ooh, I want to talk to the press, but um, I, I, I don't want it to go. I like that you all know it because you're part of the church. It obviously is going to be recorded here, but I don't want. Um, I don't know. I want the relationships there to develop naturally, and if uh, that's on the news, uh, that could actually uh, get in the way. Maybe some people wouldn't move in because they know that some minister lives. There, I wouldn't. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some creepy guys proselytizing at that building. Yeah. Um, but really, we'll be there as community organizers um, to build a sense of community in this new development and to be in relationship with the folks there. Um, and. Uh, I, I'm just elated with the opportunity to live downtown, and, and, and it's going to be a ministry opportunity. Yeah, I mean, we, we've, speaking of press, we got a little bit of press uh, talking about our move of, of Cranmer House uh, over to Homewood. That's not, that's not exactly news. But 
um, in that process, but a lot of what was coming out is this sense of that we were starting Advent South or that it was going to be some sort of like a church plant, um, which it's not. It's going to function the same way that our current Cranmer House in Mountain Brook Village was functioning. And really, I tried to emphasize the point that this in no way detracts from our presence downtown. Yeah. I mean, in fact, um, it, it in some ways, it affirms that we just need a place of convenience for meeting. And in fact, when we tend to use that facility, um, things aren't happening uh, downtown. Right. I mean, I, I was amazed when I first moved here. You know, at 5 o'clock, they roll up the sidewalks downtown. It is, I mean, it is just, really bizarre, yeah. You know, you see there's a Chick-fil-A around the corner, and, you know, it, it normally uh, says closed on Sundays, but it's basically and closed Saturday. every day after 2 p.m., yeah, yeah. Um, because it's just the, the downtown working uh, community. But there is a lot of revitalization happening in, in downtown with the different developments so Stephen McCarthy lives in a studio apartment um, across, just across from where you'll be. Yeah. You can see his apartment with binoculars. It, you know, it's, <laughs> we could. Actually, we literally can. Uh, we'll have a view straight to his building. Uh, it's so interesting. After, you know, I'm so happy to have this opportunity to talk to you all on this forum, so many of you, because afterwards so many people approach me. Um, and say, well, did you know this? Uh, or I'd love to talk to you about such and such. And one of the conversations last week was that Larry Gibson was involved with the, uh, the development of some of these buildings on 1st and 2nd Avenue uh, South uh, to become a loft district. Did you know that? I'd heard that he was involved, but I yeah, don't know Yeah, I mean, what so the, the advent, maybe that's a rumor, I don't know, but I, I believe the person. Um, and uh, maybe you know this. Uh, is this some nodding heads? Maybe there's some truth to this. The advent has seen, even back in the 1980s, uh, the, the, the necessity for what we're talking about um, and developing some of those lofts down there. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy, and y'all can speak to this more than, than any of us up here can, um, but when uh, there's this thing called the North American Association of uh, Deans, Cathedral Deans, um, it's, it's kind of lame, but they, um, but I mean, basically they have a conference every single year, and they are trying real hard to get people there. So, in the uh, the most recent one was in Miami, and they did a cruise. Um, but can you imagine being at sea with a bunch of Episcopal ministers? Ugh. Um, and then, uh, and then this year's was in Jerusalem, actually. And then the year before Miami was apparently Hawaii. Uh, next year, the first year I could actually go because my calendar allows for it. It's in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, so, um, but I was, I really was a little bit reluctant to go, and I've, I've said this publicly, so I'm not worried about anybody hearing what I have to say about this. Um, the one in Miami, the, the theme of it was uh, preserving our old buildings. I mean, that was it. So, I mean, their big concern is how do we care for aging buildings uh, in downtown communities, because cathedrals in the Episcopal Church are actually a fairly new thing. Many of you know that this didn't become the cathedral until the early 80s, um, but it just sort of became a thing in the Episcopal Church, and everyone kind of got on board for various and sundry reasons, some of which happened to be race, actually, which we can talk about in a minute. But, um, so, but normally what they would do is they'd take the big, old downtown congregation, and they'd make it a cathedral. That's just kind of what they did. And so a lot of these cathedrals are really, really struggling. I mean, that nobody really goes to church there. Uh, some of them, the, the cathedral in Providence, Rhode Island recently closed, 
and it's now being reopened as a museum. Um, better that than the normal nightclub. Yeah, yeah, normally it's a bar or a nightclub. Um, so um, there was one in England that a really lovely restaurant. Remember, it was called Freud, um, and it was in a church, uh, an old church. But so when uh, there really aren't that, I mean, the, the Advent is very unusual in that we're an active, vibrant congregation that doesn't have the same worries as they do, and yet they are totally taken back by, by the Advent. They just don't get it. So they'll say, so let me get this right. You're a right one morning prayer congregation with no parking whatsoever. Almost everybody in your congregation travels umpteen miles, passing other congregations on the way in, and you really don't have stuff there during the week. Yes. And it's like, that makes zero sense. That makes that, like, all of those things are normally... In their minds, the recipe for disaster, you know, that that, that would be, uh, you know, descriptive of a dying congregation. Um, so I don't know. I mean, what, what is it about the Advent um, that brings y'all here? Yes, the clergy are attractive. I heard that. <laughs> All right, coffee. Well, the Advent has always been the office of the Bishop of Alabama. Mm-hmm. That was a that was part of the motivating factor, I think, and a lot in us becoming a cathedral. My, my take on it was had Bishop Carpenter come down from Mount Ararat to John Turner's office on the left there in the, in the library and said, John, I want this to be a cathedral, the sign would have been up by Sunday. Mm-hmm. But it has always traditionally been the seat of the bishop, which De facto, it was a cathedral because the bishop was here. Mm-hmm. And the second thing, and I've heard this, at the beginning about 20 or 30 years ago, and the Advent became a gospel-centered church. We did not fall into the trap of the latest novel, the latest movie particularly. Some, we got some movies, but we did not <laughs> fall into the trap of commenting. Giant crab movies. popular literature. It has always been one that we can look to a message from the gospel, from the Bible, from the inspired word of God for the last 30 years at least. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what sets us apart from many of the struggling cathedrals. Mm-hmm. Many of them are more like coffee shops than they are about houses of worship. Mm-hmm. Well, that's nice coffee. Extra wafer for you next Sunday. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, I, I think that that's, that, that that's a, a great, you know, I, and maybe it would be, I'd be interesting to hear y'all's feedback on this too, that when you talk about the Advent, um, people who go to the Advent normally call it the Advent. The Advent yeah. And then people who aren't, they, they'll say the cathedral, cathedral. and you're like, what? Uh, who's, I think of the Crystal Cathedral with Bob Schuller when they say that. Um, but, um, which is fine. I mean, we are the cathedral. I don't, I don't take offense to that at, at all. But, it, but it, it's, it's amazing the personalization of the congregation and how people feel like this is my, this is my church. And um, I won't mention this person's name, but when we were actually looking at planning, because uh, we're constantly, y'all probably... I mean, if you're not aware of this, you should be. And we are constantly praying about planning 
churches, right? Like where are strategic areas to plant? And I was talking to a member of the congregation about whether or not they would be willing to go and help with this plant, or at least be a part of the plant and worship there. And uh, this person lives over the mountain, and both this person and their spouse said, you know, there's, it's really actually important to us, and there's something about going downtown, like getting up, getting ready, and going downtown and being in this, this place, this vicinity, not necessarily just because we have a, a pretty building, but, but in this place where, where we're planted and where, and it's not just cathedrals. I mean, it's, I mean, we've got a lot of downtown churches that are really, really struggling, and there are lots of things that we could do a whole lot, a whole lot better. Um, but um, it's, it's a, maybe a little bit easier for us because we're rooted here. Right? This is our neighborhood, so it's not like we're just parachuting in to help people over in Lynn Park or something. They're, they're literally our, our neighbors. Right? Yeah, I, you know, I, I would say it's, it's, it is important. Uh, I, the gospel thing that Coffee brought up is primary. Uh, we cannot lose sight of that. Uh, it's also important, uh, in addition to that, and outflowing from the gospel proclamation that we are concerned about our immediate surrounding of our church building. Um, I remember when I lived in uh, San Francisco, which, let me tell you, is like one of the least church-going places ever, except for like, uh, I think, maybe, uh, maybe Oregon, like Seattle and Portland, uh, maybe Anchorage, um, and that's true. Uh, but I remember there uh, was this neighborhood not far from where I lived where there were a lot of churches, um, and uh, there would be cars just lined up on Sunday parking where they shouldn't be. And you know where all those people lived? They did not live in San Francisco. They lived in Marin County, north of San Francisco, or south of the city, and they came in um, like a lot of our folks do, uh, and into this neighborhood where you would never see them otherwise. And those churches, for the most part, I never heard about them or s- saw any sort of activity outside of Sunday morning when they were taking up all our parking. Um, and maybe they were, and I was just oblivious of it. But there was something about me that noticed like all these people coming from the outside just sort of parachuting in to go to church where their families probably used to worship 50 to 100 years ago when they used to live in those neighborhoods. So there was a, there was a sort of nostalgia factor. Um, but uh, how, do we, how do we not be dislocated from our place um, to take a concern for um, our immediate surroundings? Um, there are a lot of opportunities. Uh, and uh, some of that, uh, you know, you know better than I do. But would love to, to hear the possibilities. Yeah. yeah, I think one of the things we didn't hit on last time was just the importance of the city. So if you're reading the New Testament at post-Gospels, you read Acts and you read the epistles, the, the missionary journeys were, were strategic. They, they went to urban city centers and they understood, and the, early, and the church even beyond the early church, there's a, there's a, a dense book, but it's a, an informative book called The Barbarian Conversion. And uh, normally the first person who would go into the big barbarian urban center would be killed, but then the next person was fine. Uh, They got that one out of the way. Um, But they would go into the city center, and what they found is that if you can get the city, then everything else kind of takes care of itself. And so, but in, in America today, what most churches have done is they've forsaken the city. They've given up, and they've just sort of said, we're going to move way outside of town and... Uh, and just because it's more convenient and it's and it's easier, and and we're just going to do 
uh, we could out of time. Have, we could have done that. From what I understand, this used to be actually a residential neighborhood when this church was built. This is actually where people lived. Uh, and over the course of a hundred and some odd years, people have left, and what's around us is a financial district. Um, um, and uh, it, it would be much easier to have a building you know, with a large parking lot um, somewhere closer to where most people actually live. But So we're, we're an exception, and, um, and uh, I, I love it. Mm. It's great. Well, what is it about the city that, that made it... Like, why did Paul go after the cities? Why, why was it so important to, to preach the gospel there, do you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Mars Hill is an interesting example of that, where the people were debating the, the, um, the, uh, the sort of latest ideas of the day. Um, and, uh, the, you know, that's where the people were gathered and, and doing that. Now, it actually is happening Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 down here, isn't it? I mean, if you come down here, this is where all the, the energy is. And we do participate in the life of the city nine to five, even with something as simple as like the bells tolling at noon. I think that's so great. Um, and uh, you know, for the, the, the reasons that Paul went to a place like Mars Hill to, to go where um, people were are engaging um, into ideas, um, that was the natural place. Um, and so, so here we are. What does that look like in 2015 in Birmingham, Alabama, downtown? Um, it's, a, it's a different topic, yet it's not, it's, only, it's not too much different, actually, than what, whatever they were talking about, those philosophers of the day. I'm actually going to be teaching a, a two-part series in August. Uh, I think I'm going to call it, You've Heard That It Was Said, which is you know, a, a reference to what Jesus said. Because I think that often what I'm up against as a minister uh, who's trying to proclaim the gospel isn't necessarily bad Christian theology as much as it's bad world philosophy theology. You know, the, the, the ideas of the age, the books that we buy, the things that we um, just sort of say, that we repeat, unhelpful sayings is really what I'm going to be attacking. <laughs> Um, you know, you've just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that kind of thing, you know. Um, Being in love means never having to say sorry again. Sure, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Sorry. And those are the Hallmark cards that you can buy at some shop near here. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting you should bring up the bells. There's actually uh, research uh, in England on this, and they noticed that these sort of flight areas in urban city centers and the crime rate going up, they actually were able to link the spike in crime to church bells. That the churches would shut down and the bells wouldn't ring anymore. And there was at least, but where those urban city centers, they still had crime issues, but where they had active tolling bells like the Angelus at noon, crime was actually lower there. And so what they determined in England was that there was at least an unconscious witness of the of here's the church tolling the bells really i mean what they're really meant to do is call us call to prayer to worship. yeah i mean that's that that's what it is so when you hear the bells uh downtown and of course we we do hymns here oh that remember that that terrible day were you here when the world cup was going on for the men uh, was I? When and was america that? was playing germany and um we, um, we play, this was unintentional, but all of a sudden, like right before the game started, the Advent started playing, 
dun 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 dun, you know, um, dun 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 dun, which is the German national anthem. And every, I mean, it's also a hymn. But we got phone calls being like, "What is wrong with you jerks?" So we expected that. I did say, I said, I said, I'm pretty sure the tune for the Belgian national anthem that we played after that is not in the rota. So we're going to be, uh, but it was pretty amazing that that happened. And we lost. We lost that game. So, uh, so there is something to be said about uh, the bells that, and just, just the presence. I mean, you'll, uh, we leave our doors open uh, for the most part during the day. Well, not for the most part. They're always open. And, uh, and folks will come in, and they'll sit, and they'll pray. And I, I've even noticed here on Sunday mornings, especially the 11 o'clock service, we'll have folks that... Uh, I mean, everybody calls them hipsters, you know, bearded, skinny. There's, you know, a, there's a new little, term. Little beer gut. New term now. What's that? Hipsters don't exist. It's now yuckies. Yuckies? Did you read this? Do you know yuppie? This is young urban professionals. Yucky is a young urban creative, um, which there was an article in. I don't I like it. Uh, I don't know, Huffington Post or something, uh, and it went, it <laughs> went, it went viral, truth. and so now this is the, uh, That's funny. the, the new term. Yucky. Well, anyway, they're, they, they don't know what they are, but they're here, and, um, and, and, it's, and I think that they come to the Advent because, one, I think we have a reputation of being a safe place, a place for folks who've been burned by the church, uh, but also we kind of look like a church building. We don't kind of, we do. Like, we look like a church. We're not... You know, it doesn't look like you're walking into a mall or an airplane hangar. And, um, and so there's, and that's, but I mean, that we talked about that last week, that that's, you know, people who build buildings like that, I mean, really have an idea of, I mean, it's rooted in Anabaptist theology in America, and this is not slighting them, this is just the fact of the matter, that if, if you think, you know, this world is just a blip on the screen, and we're really just trying to get to heaven as fast as we can, why would you build anything right. of beauty with yeah. lasting permanence when um, our tradition has always been Jesus calls us to engage the world? Like yeah. salt, you know, enlivens things. It, it brings out flavor. It preserves. And, and so this notion of being salt in, in the world and light in the world is what makes us care about what things look like and how we do things. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I mean, admittedly, it was the thing that originally attracted me to the Episcopal Church. It wasn't the gospel, although that came. Shortly thereafter, I went to, uh, a, couple, went to a couple places in San Francisco because there were beautiful buildings, and then we went to a church in Washington, D.C. that was just sort of a, a Gothic revival stone building. With, I mean, it looked a lot like the Advent in terms of the choir and very traditional worship, that's the thing that drew me in, and then I was uh, hit by the gospel message, uh, by the grace of God after that. Um, and that might be true for some of you, that it was, you know, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Uh, I mean, that's in, that's in Scripture. Um, and I think that's important to yuckies. <laughs> you know, if you're a young urban creative... You're interesting, interested in things that are, 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 are creative and aesthetic uh, and have heart and soul and not trying to be cool, but just it's, it's good. You, you see what I'm saying? There's a difference. Um, uh, and uh, if you go for a little while to a place that's sort of devoid of any aesthetic, 
uh, and then you and, and you're hungering for that, and you come to a place like this, you you will it will it will touch your heart, and you'll realize I, <laughs> where that I'm home, and I've never been here before. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you hit on something. To, you know, the, the whole issue of authenticity, of, of just being who you are and living that out in confidence. I mean, I'm, I mean, I don't think the Advent is, is for everybody. I mean, some people um, like being able to drink coffee in their pews. Honestly, I mean, they do. And um, uh, some of you do drink coffee in our pews. Uh, but, um, Which isn't really a big issue. It's pretty easy to clean. It's yeah. stone floor well, don't, and wood. Well, no, it's, it's wood, yeah. So uh, Brian's in the back. Be quiet, Matt. Uh, so, but I mean, but people can tell, people can tell if, if you're trying to be something you're not. I mean, they can spot a fake uh, from a mile away. Yeah, you know, there's a, uh, the last 10 years there was a movement that's kind of, people aren't talking about it anymore, of emergent church. Maybe you've heard this, uh, sort of, a lot of progressive evangelicals um, liturgically looking for things that uh, have tradition to them, so like incense and bells, um, you know, dimming the lights or whatever, icons. Um, and the further and further that um, sort of movement got along, I think what we began to notice was they want to be Anglicans. They actually just want to be Anglicans. And they were using more and more, I mean, it's still happening, but they're using more and more of our own Book of Common Prayer. I mean, we've been doing this for 500 years, for God's sake. You know what I mean? Uh, and so it's kind of like coming back full circle. Um, uh, you, you don't need to go to some, uh, some non-liturgical church trying to be a liturgical. We're doing it. Uh, and, and, you know, God bless them for trying to do it. And I hope that, uh, you know, they'll all become Anglicans. <laughs> I mean, there, there is a sense that they're sort of just trading in the smoke machines for incense. Right. You know, it's not really, um, it's not really a change, just a different manifestation for, the, for some sort of aesthetic appeal. But, um, but no, I mean, the, it, it really is that. But people looking for something transcendent, uh, but also something that's, that is accessible, um, something that they can see themselves in and be part of and, and have a rhythm. And I'll admit it, y'all, it, it's really hard at, at the Advent I'm sure you've experienced this, that you feel like you need a Tibetan Sherpa to get through worship. I mean, you're sort of like, what, do I stand up? Now, if you've grown up with it, you're, you're, you're used to it. But, you know, just kind of fumbling around. And so I think that's actually one of the things that, that we can do as a community is hand a visitor a hymnal, like open it for them and say, or, or be able, and I'm sure a lot of y'all do this already, but like point out where we are uh, in, in the service um, and, um, and, and make them feel at home. Uh, but there's no, no chance that they'll say these people are just fooling around. Like we're not, we're not fooling around. Yeah, we're, we're not trying to we do are. something is what we're doing. Yeah. So if you want to open it to extended Q&A. Yeah, well, let's just hit on, let's hit on Emmanuel and me for a minute. And then, um, but uh, y'all can ask questions about that. Um, Charleston is a really in, interesting place. Um, it's actually, a, as, as much as it's a hotbed for traditionalism, uh, it's actually a very progressive city. Um, so you may remember Reuben Greenberg, the former police chief there. Uh, Reuben was a black gentleman who was also Jewish and would roller skate to work. And I don't mean roller blade. I mean, my man had on roller skates. And, uh, and he was a real character. Uh, I know that's a shocker. Uh, but he was really emblematic. Uh, Joe Riley's been the mayor forever. And, uh, and, and racially, um, like a lot of southern cities that are very old, there, there's definite segregation and, and division. But I think that the churches have made 
serious inroads in that area, especially the Christian community. And you saw that this week at, at the prayer meeting. Like these people were praying together, not just it's time for us to pray, but they'd been praying together. These were, you know, they have a really close-knit clergy group in, in Charleston where everybody just kind of knows who is who. And Emmanuel AME is located on Calhoun Street, right between East Bay and Meeting Streets. So this is not like some congregation a in a bad part. Church. It, it's it's like where we are, yeah. and uh, it's not in a sketchy area. In fact, all the hotels for tourists yeah. are right yeah. are right across from there, or on the same side of the street. And uh, and so it really, uh, I think, well, I don't think it has really shaken folks, and it's just an awful. Uh, awful tragedy. Um, you know, the politics of what's going on in the church aside, I think that the Diocese of South Carolina, even though they've left the Episcopal Church for the most part, uh, has always done a really remarkable job of trying to make inroads and, and reconcile, especially, are all familiar with the Reformed Episcopal Church? It's a very small denomination. And uh, in one of the people killed was the wife of a Reformed Episcopal Church, church minister. That's right. Yeah. And the REC broke away from the Episcopal Church in the 1870s over Anglo-Catholic stuff. They were more Protestant and left. And, uh, and in South Carolina, it is almost 100% African-American. It's an African-American denomination. And so what happened was uh, what was once an integrated church in South Carolina became a segregated church because they left. And in the 1970s, when everything was kind of hitting its stride for cathedrals, uh, Gray Temple, who was the Bishop of South Carolina, and this story gets told a lot, it's true. Um, if someone wants to deny it, fine. Uh, but uh, Gray Temple approached one church that will go unnamed and said, how would you like to be the cathedral? And I said, that'd be nice, that'd be nice. And Bishop Temple said, well, okay, well, you, you just gotta, you gotta desegregate. You've got to integrate. You've got to, you've got to allow black. Now, there was no prohibition against anybody African-American joining the church, but, but it startled this congregation. So they said no. So they went to St. Luke and St. Philip, uh, St. Luke and St. Paul, which is now the cathedral. And uh, unfortunately, what happens, it's different now that Pete Dickinson is there. Uh, but what normally ha- I mean, when, they, when Great Temple said we've got to integrate, of course, he said, okay. But no African-Americans going to the Episcopal Church, so that wasn't really hard to, to, to navigate uh, for them. And so even, uh, and that was, South Carolina was not the only place where that happened in creating cathedrals, but it was an easy way for the bishop to sort of get around the racial question in the diocese. And so um, that's, that's the history of the cathedral, at least in Charleston. Uh, but even uh, in spite of that, there have been some real inroads uh, made there. But it's... It's scary. I mean, do you all think about, I'm not trying to alarm anybody, but I mean, you're sitting there in church doing a Bible study. I mean, do you think, I mean, safest place in the world, pretty much, right, in your mind. And to have that disrupted, and the frightening thing for me is that this guy went in and was there for an hour hour. just sitting with them, and then he did this thing. He had second thoughts, he told the police, because of how they were treating him. so kindly, uh, I, you know, the most fascinating thing about this whole story has been the, the, the response. He was trying to sow seeds of hate. He, I mean, he literally says he was trying to start a, a second civil war, and the opposite happened. Um, 
uh, we didn't see riots in Charleston. We saw people coming together um, across racial lines. And then the families of those who were killed at the bond hearing. Have you seen the video? If you haven't seen the video, do yourself a favor and watch it. I mean, these are people I can't even imagine. who They've been obviously convicted by the good news of Jesus Christ, who's the friend of sinners. I mean, they stood up there and they said, you've hurt me. I forgive you. God have mercy on your soul very briefly and sat down. Usually at that kind of thing, what you see are people who say, I hope you fry in hell, you deserve it, and they go on at length. Um, but instead, the family members of eight of the nine families, a representative from each, uh, did that. Um, and so, you know, coming back to the gospel, um, well, we have that here at the Advent. And I would hope that sort of the ministry that pours out of us is likewise. Um, um, God forbid that we ever see such a tragedy, but um, you know, in other avenues, uh, we are people who are forgiven sinners, and yeah. may that flow out into our lives. Okay, questions? He left you, Lindsay, I'm sorry. His back turned. You know, I think one of the real advantages of uh, where the advent is, is Birmingham News did an article a couple of years ago where they looked at 37 communities in the greater Birmingham area, and the absolute safest place to live was downtown. Maybe that's, that's fascinating. I don't know if that's true. I, I, I believe that it might be. And uh, yet, emotionally, people don't feel that way for some reason. Uh, people tell me, especially at night, that they don't, they don't feel safe. And maybe this has to do with uh, times when maybe this wasn't a, a safe neighborhood. Um, Um, what I hear you saying is that uh, the Advent, because of its history here in Birmingham, its aesthetic quality, um, our liturgy, that um, we have a real advantage um, within the community um, to, it, it sounds like, uh, like last week you talked about um, your personal interest in art and culture and um, your uh, decision to move downtown and how y'all are um, how the Advent is hosting the creative roundtable um, uh, here at our church uh, next month what are some ways um, as a congregation that um, we are, are some things that you know you're doing that we can be a part help represent uh, the church the Advent within our community it's a great question because there's a uh, there's a difference between doing that formally on behalf of the church versus like in your own life, you know, being a, a Christian walking around in the world and, and, and taking interest in these things. But formally with respect to the church, you know, a lot of this stuff, at least for me and what I'm doing in my own ministry is, is all pretty new. You know, I mean, I'm still working some things out. And uh, someone else asked me this question uh, outside of the, the meeting. And, and my response, which I think for you will, will be, um, uh, a lot of that for me happens relationally. You know, I, I, I learn things by going out to coffee and lunch with people. Uh, and, um, and then I start roping people in <laughs> and, and, and plugging them in and, and speaking to people's interests. That's a, a, a big part of the way that I operate as a, as a minister. 
Um, and uh, so I don't know. I mean, I can say show up to the events, first of all. You know, part of this is like, if we do something like hosting the Birmingham Creative Roundtable, that isn't just to be cool and to have sort of an artistic conversation. Although it won't be gospel proclamation, what it is is um, we're taking an interest in what these people are interested in authentically um, and uh, giving them a, a place to meet, which is a gift. Um, and, um, you know, for a lot of folks who are creative, they've either been a part of the church and been alienated or um, have been on the fringes all along or never were a part of it. And so to encounter Christians in a church that aren't out to sort of get them, um, that are, who are interested in them and what they do and, um, you know, uh, are, are, are just genuinely nice people, it will go a long way to, to, to clean up tarnished views that people have about the church. And for me, as someone who converted to Christianity in my 20s, that's really important uh, because I had to have th those views cleaned up before I could even begin to hear the gospel. Do you see what I'm saying? I think there's a question back there, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, um, I grew up in the 60s. Um, this is about the Episcopal Church and Race in Montgomery, Alabama, with the downtown um, Episcopal Church. And the times then were very racist. Um, the church was all white, it was very racist, but the Episcopal Church took a very courageous stance, which was against the culture um, in Montgomery, Alabama, and they were on the forefront of, um, you know, uh, being against the prejudice and the race, and they took a very active stance. And I can remember this as a child, and it was so against the culture, so against the congregation. And so finally the congregation was very upset about what the Episcopal Church was doing, and the rector, who was socially friends with everybody, um, they began to financially punish the Episcopal Church for taking this stance um, against racism. And I remember the rector, who was best friends with everybody, he just said, well, I refuse to take my salary. And so the church felt horrible. No, no, we love you, we love you, but we don't like the Episcopal Church being on the forefront of this race issue. And he said, well, I'm sorry, I'm just not gonna take my salary. And so, of course, everybody felt horrible, but um, anyway, but that's my memory of the 60s is growing up in this racist culture. I mean, it was, and seeing the church, you know, take a stand against the call. I mean, these were people in Montgomery, Alabama taking that stand, and so, um, it just might have been a big impact on me. So, uh, sorry. To that point, um, I just wanted to know. I was interested in in our church's history with the civil rights movement, like what our clergy and lay people yeah. were doing doing during that time. Yeah, um, we. Um, some of y'all might already know this. That some of the uh, that's right, and some of the initial um, meetings between the business community and. Um, and the civil rights community that ultimately led to the integration of the lunch counters uh, happened here at the Advent. And um, Advent School was the first private school in the state to integrate. Um, so uh, when, it, when it comes to, to that issue, um, the Advent has, has certainly uh, engaged it and, and been on the, the right side of things. I would just like to say that the, uh, the church in South Carolina refused to be a part of the world that they did not engage in what other cities right. that had racial tragedies yeah. happen, that, that there were plenty of voices screaming to them to 
do something different than they did, but they, they clung to the cross. Yeah. Hmm. Seth, did you have something to say? No, I was just, when is the, conf- the creative? Oh, the creative roundtable. Uh, yeah, Birmingham Creative Roundtable will be meeting on uh, uh, Thursday, July 9th, I believe is the date, at 7.30 a.m., uh, it's so fascinating that this group meets at 7.30. Do you feed them? Uh, there's usually pastries and coffee. Uh, please come. Yeah, it'll be in Klingman Commons. Maybe one last question because we've got to go yeah. to church. I'm just, given the Advent's history um, through the Civil Rights Movement and with this most recent um, horrific event, do we, should we consider ourselves challenged to be a, um, a place where we begin to have an honest dialogue about race, that this could be a safe place for that. I just lift that up. Yeah, I think at least on a clergy level, I mean, it, it already exists. I'm close to some black pastors in town. I've been part of a clergy group that's uh, multiracial and different backgrounds. And um, I mean, it's hard not to get I mean, your church is your church, and so it's not sort of white church, black church. It's just sort of like, I don't know what's going on at IPC, right? I mean, they just don't go to IPC. So it's not necessarily a racial thing, but there are cultural issues. And one of the things that I'll say to my black pastor friends is just, and they'll say this to us, like, I don't get it. Like, I need you to help me get what this is. And it may be that rather than the Advent doing something, how can we partner with you (laughs) in order order to do this? And so we've done some things and, and tried to work uh, creatively. Uh, interestingly enough, um, the, um, the Billy Graham uh, crusade that's coming in August um, is, um, it's been a long time since there's been that much crossover participation uh, between the black and the white churches. And in fact, um, civil rights leaders in Birmingham will point to Billy Graham's crusade years ago and say that that was the real breakthrough, that Billy Graham refused to do a crusade if, if it were segregated. And, um, and the fact that he went to the mattresses for that really impressed the civil rights leadership. And, and so they've always had a really good relationship. And, and the, the clergy here in Birmingham, for the most part, have had a, a really, but it, it does take some intentionality because we've all got our own issues going on. But so, well, God bless you all. Go in peace to love Thank and you. serve the Lord. <laughs>